Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm your host, Jody Henke. Today, we're going to be talking about your soil and things you can do once harvesting is done to make it healthier and hopefully boost returns on your crops next year. Joining me is Jody DeYoung-Hughes, an extension crop educator from the University of Minnesota, and we'll check in with her right after this. Do you know what's under the hood of your seed treatment? Most all look the same, red color with a shiny finish. But the performance really comes down to a strong formulation with powerful chemistry. That's what you get with Cruiser Max Vibrance Bean Seed Treatment, a combination of separately registered products. Unlike your typical generic blend, this formulation coats each seed more strongly to prevent dust off and build up on your planter, meaning the ingredients will stay on your seed throughout planting. So ask your Syngenta retailer for Cruiser Max Vibrance Beans. Always read and follow label instructions. Jody, thanks for being here with us. And first of all, tell us a little about yourself and how you became interested in crops and soils and what you do in your job. Well, I've been a regional extension educator with the University of Minnesota Extension for the last 21 years. And I've been mainly helping farmers work with the physical aspects of their soils. So reducing tillage, soil compaction, how to reduce that and what is causing soil compaction out there. And uh, now more or less in the soil health area of things. Great. And of course, soil health is a hot topic right now. And it, it should be. I mean, you know, we've got to feed billions of people from here on out. Let's talk about the post-harvest activity that you would like to see producers do as the first thing after they're done harvesting. Well, actually, right before they're done harvesting. I'd like them to check out their combines and make sure that it's spreading the chaff out evenly behind the combine. Because when you go to no-till or reduced-till systems, when you have the piles of residue out there, it just makes your planter a lot less efficient in the springtime. Let's talk about tillage implements and effects that they can have on the soil. What do you recommend to people? When you're looking at different tillage implements, I look at depth and aggressiveness of the tillage implement. And in the fall, Typically, people can be more aggressive. They can go in there with the the shanks, whereas in the springtime, you don't want to run anything that has a smooth, flat metal piece to it because you can smear the soil and cause problems when your small roots are trying to get through it, the soil. So in the fall time, they look at the chisel plow, you look at disc ripping, mulberry plow, and strip till. And then in the springtime, it's more the, the shallower implements that they're looking at. How do you decide if you need to do tillage? Well, it varies so much. Um, Everybody thinks they have the shortest growing season, so they need to to warm up the the soil and make it black so that, you know, it absorbs the sunshine and and warms up quickly in the springtime. But the research that we've done across western Minnesota into North Dakota, we're finding over the last 15 years that residue really doesn't play a huge role in your yield. So if you have a good planter that can, and with uh, residue managers up front that push away that residue and you get a nice clear area, you can go no-till on like your sandier soils, on slopes. There's certain areas that just make sense to do no-till, especially after crops that don't have a lot of residue like either potatoes or sugar beets. And then if you do need a little more tillage, that's usually systems that have a lot more residue to them or they have the heavier clay soils, uh, the ones that farmers may call gumbo, and then you want to do a little bit more tillage in those areas. There are some machines out there now that can do variable depth tillage, and I think that's a a great idea because, you know, we have this variable population. We have uh, variable rate spreaders for um, 
oh, even manure and fertilizers. So why not do tillage based on your soil types and your residue level? Now, how do you go about checking for compaction or rutting and whether or not that needs some fluffing up in the fall? Well, when we talk about soil compaction, the number one natural defense that you have against soil compaction is soil structure. So when you see those little peds or aggregates in your soil, those act like mini columns in the soil that help hold up the weight of equipment as it's going over. And also the residue can help too. So the more tillage you do, the more you break apart each of those little aggregates, and they just don't have the strength to hold up equipment. So as you're breaking up the structure, you're adding a lot of air into the soil, which, you know, helps warm up the soil. But, you know, air cannot hold up equipment. So you want to build that structure, mainly reduce your tillage and put in cover crops. They always help build structure. So when you Rut up the field, and that happens in the falls, and I think this fall we're going to have some areas that are really going to have problems with rut. Just fill them in. Don't try to do any deep ripping into them because when you do the deep ripping, you're breaking up the structure even deeper into the soil, and that's going to set you up for deeper compaction the next year and also the ability to sink into the soil deeper the next year. You mentioned cover crops. What are some of the ways that at this time, once harvest is done or right towards the end of harvest, that uh, people should be putting down cover crops, drilling, dropping them by air? What do you recommend? We have some research that says that if you put down cover crops by plane, um, you could be feeding just a lot of rodents and crickets and things like that. I'd like to see it more that you're given seed to soil contact so it has a, a much better chance of growing and getting some strength and, and good growth before the first freeze. In Minnesota, you know, our first freeze in West Central Minnesota is typically around October 15th. So right now you still have a chance to get some growth, especially out of rye. We did this a few years ago where we put down rye and a whole uh, slew of different broadleafs. And we did that on September 11th. And, you know, on the broadleafs, we probably got about two inches of growth, which really doesn't amount to a lot. But the rye was about five inches. And again, it will come back up in the spring. So that five inches does leave really good cover and helps build soil structure and, you know, hold on to nutrients a little bit so that they're not leaching through the fall. We've had extremes from drought. We've had extremes from rain and flooding in various parts of the country. How does that impact cover crop establishment? Well, if it is really dry out there, I have been telling farmers not to put down any seed. You can. I know that some people will put down rye and then I hope it will grow in the spring. But when the economics are really not in our favor right now. And the other thing is cover crops are phenomenal at helping with reducing soil erosion over the winter time. So if nothing's growing, it's really not giving you that benefit. It will give you some growth in the spring, but a lot of farmers are going to be starting their tillage and spraying. And, you know, when it's dry, I, I just don't bother. But if you have good moisture or, you know, even excessive moisture, it's a really good time to put down cover crops. Let's talk a little bit about soil sampling. Well, this is the time to start soil sampling in the fall, and you send it to a certified state laboratory. They're certified for the area that you're in. Like in Minnesota, especially in western Minnesota, we have very high pH soils, and if you send them to Wisconsin, they don't do tests on high pH soils. They will run the, the Bray test instead of the Olsen for phosphorus, and you will get a number that you won't know what to do with. 
Okay. Now, what about soil treatment options, you know, for things such as nematodes? Now, I understand there are both good and bad nematodes. How do you know which one you have? Well, the only ones that we don't like are the root-sucking nematodes. You know, when you have a soybean cyst nematodes or corn nematodes, and if their numbers are low enough, they're not bothersome to the crop. But there are many, many different nematodes in the soil that are very beneficial. And there's nematodes that eat other nematodes. There's nematodes that eat fungi, fungi that eat nematodes and bacteria. I mean, there's this huge food web down below that we only know a very small piece. And to kill off all the nematodes with a nematicide because you're, you know, worried about the root-sucking ones may help in the short term. But what I would suggest is that they look more at improving the soil health. So if you have more predators in the soil that eat those bad nematodes, um, more diversity down there or more fungi like actinomycetes that are protecting the soil root, then you know, you have a natural protection going on down there. And the problem with it is you won't build it in one year. It will take a few years to really get the health up of the soil. But for the long term, you know, it's much more effective. It's kind of like when we first got soybean aphids into Minnesota, we had no predators for them. And so when they established on our soybean field, they could decimate the yield. But now we're building up more and more predators for them. And there's times that when they're in the fields, their numbers will build, but then they'll plateau. And it's nothing that the farmer did. It's because of the predators in the field. So if you can build up the natural kind of immunities out there, again, in the long term, that works a lot better. What kind of practices do you recommend to build up those immunities? You know, our crops are only covering our soil for a few months out of the year where you have full canopy. It's probably July and August and September. And then we start harvesting and take them back away. Now, the crops will feed the soil while they're in the vegetative state. They'll feed all the microbes down below. But as they start filling grain, then they put less of their energy down into the soil and they go more into reproductive stage. So if you can have um, cover crops in there underneath the canopy starting to grow, they have the living roots that are still feeding the soil and still giving the diversity of food sources down there so that you get all different kinds of microbes. Because in one cup of soil, you can have 9 billion microbes. And if you give them a home, they'll thrive and work for you. The ways that I work with the farmers on doing that is, one, reducing the tillage so that you can build up the structure. Because the structure gives large pore spaces and small pore spaces in the soil. That's like having very diverse community for all these microbes to live in. There's areas that are wet, areas that are dry, warm, cool, that type of thing. And so you start building up that diversity. And then also um, putting in cover crops where you can. Have something green growing out there as long as you can. And, you know, this is going to be a balance for every farmer. There is not a one-size-fits-all where it's going to work for every farmer every year. And that's the hard part. You know, it's different when you have, like, fertilizer, and, and we have all these studies that show that you put down this much fertilizer, you'll get this much yield. Whereas with cover crops, you know, there's so many choices and there's so many rates, and we're still figuring a lot of that out. But we're seeing a lot of great things happening in the soil, and we've been focusing on the soil. We haven't done that for years, or kind of forever. (laughs) You know, we knew about tillage, we know about fertility, but the biology side of the soil, that's brand new. It's And it's really interesting. What kind of research is going on right now with soil? Anything that may be earth-shattering? 
no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, we have 15 years of data from Minnesota into North Dakota, like I said, that shows if you're in a corn bean rotation, you really don't need much tillage at all. And especially soybeans, they're kind of the little darlings out there. You can do so many different things to them and they still yield. And doing no-till for soybeans is a good first step, kind of the low-hanging fruit or any of the vegetable crops. So sweet corn and peas. And we're still trying to work with sugar beets. That one's a little bit tougher for us to get cover crops in there and reduce our tillage. And then there's been a flurry of research on on building soil health all the way from down to the molecular side of what microbes are out there to um, more applied science where, you know, you're putting in certain cover crops and how are they specifically helping the soil. There's some that help with the trafficability, the ability of equipment to go across the field and not sink with nutrient holding, with erosion control, with water infiltration. It's new and it's just exploding. And, you know, sometimes new practices take a while for people to adopt and they need to see the results from what other people do first. Do you have any research that people can link to to show the benefits? Yes, if you go to extension.umn.edu and, you know, put in the search there, you can go to agriculture and you can find a lot of different things there. Gosh, we have the Soil Health Institute. There's the NRCS. Over the 20 years that I've been with Extension, you know, the first 15, I kind of felt I was out there alone on the tillage, helping people reduce tillage. But these last five, seven years, it's kind of made farming fun again. And it gets the thinking back into it. It's not just how do you kill the weed and the fertilizer, but it's, you know, what's best for this field and that field. And I can actually see farmers being reinterested in farming again. It's been enlightening. Thanks, Jody. We'll be talking more about improving soil health right after this. When it comes to seed treatments, the color's often the same, but the performance isn't. That's why you need to look under the hood to know just what ingredients you're getting in your coating. With Cruiser Max Vibrance Bean Seed Treatment, a combination of separately registered products, you get the kind of industry-leading fungicides and insecticide that are proven to boost your soybeans root health and vigor. So don't just plant any red seed treatment. Ask your Syngenta retailer for Cruiser Max Vibrance Beans. Always read and follow label instructions. And we're back with Jody DeYoung-Hughes, who is an extension crop educator from the University of Minnesota. We're talking about soil health and things you can do after you're done harvesting or right before you're done harvesting. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about drainage and making improvements there. Again, we've had some places around the country that have seen a lot of water this season, especially this fall. I've seen a lot of standing water. And how do you go about evaluating what you need to do? I know a lot of fields are tiled already, but what do you do if if it's just not taking it all out of there? When you're getting these extreme rainfalls of 10 inches in a couple of days, uh, there's not a lot of things you can do. But when you're looking at the two and three inches in a short amount of time, there are things that we can do. Tile drainage does help with pulling the water through the soil profile, but it does not help with water getting into that soil in the beginning. So when you have very little residue out there or standing crops, then what happens is that the raindrop impact can throw soil particles three feet. And clay, an individual particle of clay is microscopic. So when the water hits that, you can get crusting very easily if you don't have any residue to help break up that raindrop from hitting the soil so hard. 
the other thing is, is if you have the standing stocks or residue or cover crops that are, you know, standing into the soil, they act as straws and help wick that water into the soil very quickly. You reduce your crusting and you get better water infiltration into the soil. And then your tile can help pull it through the soil and work with it that way. But you've got to get it into the soil to begin with. So a full canopy helps too, but like I said, that's only for a couple months out of the year. And the rest of the time, the soil is prone to raindrop impact and things like that. So the cover crops and the residue, again, help out extremely well with water infiltration. I've heard about a type of um, water retention systems that are kind of like at the edge of the field, and then when the crops need it, it goes back to the crops. Can you explain oh, a little mm-hmm. bit about that, how that works? You can have tile drain systems that have gates in them, and so you can drain the soil down in the spring before uh, you're going to go out planting. You can help drain down some of that soil moisture to, say, you want to choose two feet or three feet and not drain the whole profile. And then some people have even gone uh, past that where they hold that water that they're draining and they use it to irrigate back onto the crop. And what that helps is that you're not sending all that water down into the ditches at one time. You know, when you get big spring rain, Things go to the ditch quickly and then to our rivers and cause issues that way. But if you can hold back that water and use it later, it's kind of a nice recycling system. Now, if you're renting your land, you have to make sure that you have a a farmer that would want to use the gates. And you might need to look around to get a farmer that will do that. But once they find some benefits to this, then I think they would be right on board with you. So about 60% of our land is rented. And the other thing that I really want landowners to know out there is if you do have a farmer that wants to try cover crops or wants to try reducing tillage, make a long-term contract with them, like five years versus year to year. Because if they're going to improve that soil, it takes a few years for them to see the benefits of it. So give them a reason to want to try these things. Now, I have one last question for you. If there is only one thing a crop producer could do to improve his soil health this fall, what would you recommend? Keep the soil covered, whether with green or brown. Keep it covered as long as you can. Thanks so much. That's Jody DeYoung-Hughes, an extension crop educator from the University of Minnesota. Do you know what's under the hood of your seed treatment? Most all look the same, red color with a shiny finish. But the performance really comes down to a strong formulation with powerful chemistry. That's what you get with Cruiser Max Vibrance Bean Seed Treatment, a combination of separately registered products. Unlike your typical generic blend, this formulation coats each seed more strongly to prevent dust off and build up on your planter, meaning the ingredients will stay on your seed throughout planting. So ask your Syngenta retailer for Cruiser Max Vibrance Beans. Always read and follow label instructions. I'm Jody Henke, and thank you for listening to this podcast edition of Successful Farming.